Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now, here's our associate pastor to families, Tony Richmond. Well, if you have your Bibles, open to Nehemiah chapter 13. Nehemiah chapter 13. The title of today's sermon is Guard the Growth. Guard the Growth, Nehemiah chapter 13. We're going to read verses 4 through 9, but really be looking at most of the chapter of 13 this morning together. Nehemiah chapter 13, starting in verse 4, says this, Now before this, Eliashib the priest, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, and who was related to Tobiah, prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering the frankincense, the vessels, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil, which were given by commandment to the Levite singers and gatekeepers and the contributions for the priest. While this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king. And after some time, I asked, leave of the king and came to Jerusalem. And there I then discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah, preparing for him in the courts a chamber in the house of God. I was very angry. I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I gave orders and they cleansed the chambers And I brought back there the vessels of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. Guard the growth. Next month at the end of May will be the 13th anniversary of a young single seminary kid who came on staff at First Baptist Keller. That was me. In 2006, I moved down here to Texas to begin attending seminary, and I never worked in a church before, but I knew the Lord had called me to work in the church, so I thought, I need to get some experience. So I interviewed for a 10-week summer internship, and I got the job, and somehow that turned into 13 years. Praise the Lord for his goodness and faithfulness. Thank you. But over the course of just my time here, we have seen the Lord grow our church in incredible ways. I've seen the Lord grow my spirit in incredible ways. And we say, thank God for that. That's his business. That's his work. But we don't presume that he's going to grow anybody or any church, but we trust that he has here. So today we want to talk about 
How do we guard that growth? I grew up in Western Kentucky where basketball is king. Football is something you do to take up time for till basketball season starts. And uh, my position was point guard. Point guard. Now, on the offensive end of the floor, I could hold my own. But defensively, that's why the coach put me in the game. I was there to guard their best player. And so I would stick to him. I would, I, it was my job to prevent him from getting open, to prevent him from being comfortable, to make him uneasy so that our team could be victorious in the end. Similarly, what we see in today's passage is we have to guard our faith. We have to be proactive in what we do to facilitate an atmosphere where God can give the growth. Now, of course, anytime we look at a passage of Scripture, we want to understand what's the context, what's going on here. So let me bring you up to speed for Nehemiah 13. Typically and historically, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah were really looked at as one story, one book. And what had happened, as many of you know, is because of God's people's rebellion to him, he sent the prophets and warned them, if you don't come back, if you don't forsake your sin, God's going to judge us. Well, God's people didn't listen to the prophets, so God judged his people for their rebellion and allowed a secular outside nations, pagan nations, to come in and take God's people captive. So one specific group called the Babylonians had taken God's people into captivity. God's people lost their city of Jerusalem. They were removed from that and they became slaves in a pagan country under pagan leadership. And we know biblically that was God judging his people, but ultimately God relented and allowed his people to return to Jerusalem. So in the book of Ezra, what we see is the people are committed to rebuilding the temple. And in God's sovereign plan, he orchestrates all kinds of awesome things to see to it that God's people rebuild the temple, and they do. And then in the first half of the book of Nehemiah, God appoints Nehemiah as their leader to rebuild the walls around the city of Jerusalem. And once again, God orchestrates the materials that are needed and the people and all of those things, and they rebuild the walls of the temple. And then in chapter 8 of Nehemiah, there's something that happens at the water gate that's sort of the turning point for these people at this period of time. Now for us, the term water gate has a negative connotation. For them, this is a different water gate, right? This is when God revives his people. 
So from chapter 8 through chapter 12, God's people are making commitments. They have seen God's faithfulness. Yes, God judged us. God judged our forefathers. But now He's brought us back. And He's been gracious to us. And He's given us these things. And we're so grateful that we're going to make these commitments. And they do. This revival is seen an incredible sign of growth and faith among the people of God. And yet one of the ways I've seen the Lord grow our church over the last 13 years is in our love and commitment to His Word. We want to love His Word and cherish it and grow from it. And one of the things we love about His Word is that it tells us the truth, doesn't it? It tells us, as the saying goes, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And I'm convinced that if the Bible was a collection of man-made stories, Nehemiah would end in chapter 12. The people are growing. The people are committing their loving God. And yet, we have chapter 13. All the commitments that God's people make they don't hold to them. There are words that came out of their mouth, but before long, they've gone back on their commitments. They haven't guarded the growth that God had given. I've heard it said that in relationships, we're either moving forward or we're falling back. In marriage, in friendship, certainly in our spiritual relationship with God, there is no neutral. There is no staying the same. We're either growing in our love and our relationship with the Lord or we're falling farther and farther away from Him. So that's exactly what we see in this passage. I can remember growing up in church and at the end of the sermon, the pastor would call people to respond to the Word. And he would call some, and he would say, look, if you've never trusted in Christ, may today be the day of your salvation. Or he would say, if you're here today and you'd like to join um, our church in church membership, please come and respond. But there was another group that our pastor would call out to. He would call out to what he called the backsliders. He would say, if there are those of you all here this morning and you have backslidden, and that group of people is simply this, people who at one time were close to the Lord and in this growing relationship with the Lord, but now find themselves somewhat complacent, somewhat falling back from their relationship. He would call them to respond in faith and repentance. The truth is this. We must fight for our commitments to God. We'll see in this passage, Nehemiah is a fighter. And in more ways than one for the people to make good on their commitments. Let's flip back one page to Nehemiah chapter 10 because we're going to refer to these commitments that God's people have made. Nehemiah chapter 10, let's start in verse 28. Look at this. 
the rest of the people, the priests, Levites, gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, all who separated themselves from the peoples of the land to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, um, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our of, of the Lord our Lord and his rules and his statutes. Here, here they are. Listen. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or grains on the Sabbath to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. From them, and we will forego the crops of the seventh year in exaction of every debt. We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of God. Now look down at the end of verse 39. We will not neglect the house of our God. These are the commitments that God's people made in response to the revival that God had sent to their midst. And yet Nehemiah says he went back to serve the king, Artaxerxes. He asked for some leave. The king gives him leave. He goes back and he finds the people walking in sinfulness. They had let their guard down and they're walking in this sinfulness. Now, three times in this passage, Nehemiah confronts the people with their sinfulness. He calls them out. We're going to see how he does that with a level of tenacity, a seriousness that informs us about how we're supposed to deal with spiritual compromise and sin in our own lives. But first, there's an underlying truth about growth. The underlying truth about spiritual growth is this. Spiritual growth is a result of godly habits that facilitate spiritual development. Let me say that again. Spiritual growth is a process and is the result of godly habits that facilitate spiritual development. Here's what I mean. We don't wake up one morning and we're mature followers of Christ. It takes work. It takes commitment to godliness. It takes commitment to things like studying our Bible, to things like prayer, to things like corporate accountability, scripture memory. Those godly habits facilitate the atmosphere for God to bring about spiritual growth. So certainly we have to be proactive. We have to make commitments. We have to say, Lord, I want to grow with you and I want to live holy because I want to grow in my walk with you and for your glory. So we have to be proactive with that growth, but we also have to guard the growth once it comes along. Let's look at the text. We read verses 4 and 5. 
Here's what happens. Eliashib, the priest, invites Tobiah to come in and take up residence in the temple. Now, what's the problem with this? Well, for one, early on in the book of Nehemiah, we have an account of guys, two guys named Tobiah and Sanballat. And they tried to hinder the building of the walls all along the way. They were the thorn in the side of Nehemiah who would talk and work against what God had led him to do. And not only that, look up in verse 1 of chapter 13. It says, On that day they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and in it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God. According to Nehemiah 2.10, Tobiah is an Ammonite official. So do you see what's happening here? They are now inviting those into their midst, knowing very full well that God has said, this is my law, this is my command, and God's people are beginning to dabble in their sinfulness. They're beginning to invite sin into their midst. Tobiah's living not only in the city, he's moved his residence into the city. Not only because he's moved his residence into the city, he's moved into the house of God. This is very serious. When we are identified as God's people and as God's children and we allow worldliness to come into our midst, the name of God is defamed. The house of God was being defiled because of the worldliness of God's people. So he sends Nehemiah. And Nehemiah responds in verse 7, it says this, he came to Jerusalem and discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God, and I was very angry. Brothers and sisters, when is the last time that our sinfulness has made us angry? When is the last time that we have reflected in our own soul and we've examined to find spiritual compromise and because of that, we've become enraged at that and responded. It goes on, look at what he does. I threw the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. You see how we're supposed to respond to sinfulness, instead of being tempted to justify our sin and compare it to what others are doing and to say, well, what I'm doing is really not that bad, we are called to pluck it out of our life. The, uh, uh, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8 says, put to death the desires of your flesh. Kill them. 
Attack them. This is spiritual warfare. Attack the sinful desires in your life. Don't harbor them because ultimately they defile the house of God and defame the name of God. And that's very serious. But not only do they harm the name of God and the house of God, they destroy even our own homes. They destroy even our own homes. Look down in verse 23 of chapter 13. Remember in chapter 10, they said we're not going to intermarry with the pagan. That was one of the commitments they made. In verse 23, Nehemiah says, in those days I saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And look at this. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and they could not speak the language of Judah. You see what's happened? Because of their worldliness, now their children are being affected. The language of the people of God, of course, was Hebrew. And the implications here are now their children can't read and study God's Word. It's written in Hebrew. So because of the sin of their parents and their grandparents intermarrying, their children are going to suffer the consequences of their parents' and grandparents' sins. Brothers and sisters, moms and dads, grandmas and granddads here this morning, if you harbor sinfulness in your life, your children will reap the consequences of that sin to some degree. How serious is that? That my sin doesn't only affect me, it affects those around me. And that's what Nehemiah saw. That's why he comes to them with this tenacity and says, cleanse yourselves, purify yourselves. Unless the next nation, the next generation would grow up and not know me. We can't become complacent as it relates to our sin. Sometimes we justify it because we say, well, my sin, this sin in my life really doesn't have that much effect over me. Been talking to some men, doing some counseling, and the issue of pornography is destroying our families, it's destroying our churches. And here's often the justification for that sin is well, it's a victimless kind of a thing. Brothers and sisters, sin is never victimless, it always has consequences and we think we're strong enough. Look, we're not strong enough. Look down in verse 26. God's people came to Nehemiah and said, we're strong enough. This issue's not that bad. Look what he says. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women? Among the nations, there was no king like him. And he was beloved by his God. And God made him king over Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women made even 
him to sin. Look, King Solomon wasn't strong enough in and of himself. He fell to allowing worldliness and sinfulness to creep in to his life. And if the most wise person to ever live can fall prey to the deception of sin, so can we. We have to guard against sinfulness. We have to put, a, put it out from us, destroy it, put to death the desires of our flesh if we want to continue to grow in our walk with the Lord. But not only putting out sinfulness, we also have to guard the growth in the two, what many people would call most important practical parts of our lives. It's been said that if you want to know a person's priorities, you can look at where they spend their money and where they spend their time. And that will give some light to what that person think, thinks is a priority. So the second thing we must guard the growth in is in our finances. Remember back in chapter 10, the people said, oh, because of this, we're going to give a third of a shekel to fund the activities of the church so that all the other nations can know that our God is the one true God. We're going to take care of the priests and the Levites and all of those things then. By chapter 13, where is Tobiah living? He's living in the chamber where they cut the offerings because it's empty. The people of God didn't follow through on their commitments to give, on their commitments to be generous in their giving. They had an emotional response to God's work, but it didn't last very long. So Nehemiah responds, look in verse 9, that I gave orders and cleansed the chambers and brought back there the vessels of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. He calls them to make it right, to make good on their promises in this way. Brothers and sisters, we have to guard our financial commitment to God because if we're not careful, the things of the world will take their place. We have to recognize that we're all stewards. We're simply stewards or managers of whatever God has given us. We don't own our finances. God does. And He's appointed us to manage them faithfully. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 says, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. One pastor says it like this, if you take care of God's business, God will take care of yours. Now that's not to say that, we, that this is some prosperity message where we back God into a corner and say, since I put this amount down or since I was generous in this way, you're obligated to give to me. No, but this is about the gener generous, loving Father who cares for His children when we exhibit our faith, when we are faithful to manage and reflect His character of generosity in His midst. 
We have to guard against sin. We have to guard the growth in our finances. We also have to guard the growth in our time. Remember in chapter 10, they said, if these people come on the Sabbath, we won't buy their stuff. We're totally devoted to you. Well, you can probably guess what happens. Look in verse 15. In those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in keeps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold the food. Tyrians also who lived in the city brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah and Jerusalem themselves. Here it is again. Then I confronted them, the nobles of Judah, and said to them, What is this evil thing that you are doing, profaning the Sabbath day? They had compromised their commitments to devote sacred time to God. Now, while we as the New Testament church are not under the legal obligation to observe the Sabbath, that does not mean that we can disregard God with our time. How we spend our time matters. In fact, we ought to have the mindset like this. Every day that we're blessed to wake up, we ought to wake up no matter what we went through the day before. No matter what issues we have to face that day, saying, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And I'll steward the time that He gives me today faithfully for His service and for His glory. Because if we're not careful, busyness will crowd out God. We'll compromise our spiritual growth because we're busy people. It's been said, if you're too busy for God, you're just too busy. And that's true. Good things even. Family, work, fun, pleasure, sports, hobbies. They can all cause us to let our guard down. And before we know it, we have compromised in our commitments to God and replaced them with temporary pleasures of the world. Sometimes in the midst of trials, the first thing we're tempted to ditch is our time with God. Oh, well, God knows what I'm going through. God knows how much I'm struggling. So that time where I used to get up in the mornings and devote to Him and start my day focusing on Him or that couple Sundays, I'm really struck. God certainly understands what I'm going through. Look, I don't know about you, but when I'm going through something, I need to be at a place where God reminds me of His truth. And God reminds me of His character. And God brings along people in my life to encourage me and to say, no matter what you're going through, God is still faithful. So may we not neglect our time with the Lord. May we not grow complacent in that way. 
Look in verses 19 through 22 of Nehemiah 13. As soon as it began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors be shut, gave orders that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. I stationed some of my servants at the gates that no load might be brought in on the Sabbath. Then the merchants and the sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. Listen to this. I warned them and said to them, why do you lodge outside the wall? If you do so again, I will lay my hands on you. Now, this is not the same laying on of hands as the book of Acts. Do you see the seriousness here? Nehemiah says, complacency and compromise to God is so important, I will fight for it. Nehemiah, in this account, much like the other prophets and leaders of the Old Testament, depicts for us the character of God. This is how God handles sin. He, he attacks it. He does away with it. He gets rid of it. He says, I'll lay my hands on you if you come in and tempt and do this evil in the midst of God's people. Let's keep reading in verse 23. In those days I saw the Jews who married women of Ashdod, Hammon, Moab. Half their children spoke the language of Ashdod. They could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of the people. Listen to this. I confronted them and cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair. And I made them take an oath in the name of God, saying, you shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons. Look, brothers and sisters, sometimes the Word of God comes to us and it beats us up a little bit. And it pulls out our hair a little bit. And it says, Purify yourselves. Cleanse yourselves. Don't harbor sin. What about those commitments that you made to God? What about those times in your life when you were growing and you said, God, I'll, I'll do this or I'll do that. I'll commit to you in this way and you've fallen away. How do we respond in those moments? Three times in this passage, Nehemiah gives us the response. Purify yourselves. Cleanse yourselves. Now in those days, that was a ritualistic outside cleansing that they could go on and do. But for us, dealing with spiritual compromise, we should reply with the reality of internal cleansing. 1 John 1, nine. If you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Maybe you've heard God's Word this morning and you haven't made any commitments to God to grow in Him. Maybe you've thought, well, one of these days it'll just click. 
one of these days I'll just start growing in maturity and in spirituality. Brothers and sisters, it takes work. It takes commitment. Maybe you need to make commitments this morning. But maybe for others of us, we can look back and we think, what I really need is to be cleansed from backsliding. How can I know if that's me, if I'm a backslider? Has there ever been a time in your life where you were closer to God than you are now? If the answer is yes, you're going the wrong direction. But according to God's word this morning, you can confess and be cleaned and be purified and start afresh with those commitments to the Lord this morning. Maybe there's a person here this morning and you've heard us talking about these commitments and singing about the good news of Jesus and what he did on the cross for your sins and you realize you've never believed in him. You've never trusted him for salvation. Well, the Bible says that today, if you believe in him and you turn from your sinfulness and trust in what he did on the cross to forgive you of your sins, and you make a commitment today to live for him and submit to his lordship, you can be saved today. You can cry out to him in saving faith, telling him like it is, God, I'm a sinner. I believe in Jesus. And I want to be saved. I want to live the rest of your life, my life, for you. If you call upon him, he'll save you today. However the Lord leads you, anytime we hear the truth of God's word, we should respond in faith and obedience. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. It tells the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. God, we praise you for that because many times what we need in our life is to be raised up, woken up from our slumber, from our compromise, from our complacency with the truth of who you are and how sinful we are and how we constantly need to come to you for cleansing and renewal and washing. And so God, corporately this morning, we do that. Would you cleanse us from complacency and compromise and set us on a path of continual growth for your honor and glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.